Okay, we are in uh, 1 Corinthians, and we're going to start in chapter 3, just finishing up uh, verses, verse 22, really, and then go into chapter 4 this morning. So let's open with a, a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the things that teach us about you and about our relationship with you, who we are as a result of your grace in, in working in our lives. We just pray this morning as we study this that you'll bless us with a better understanding of, of who you are and our relationship with you. And uh, just ask now that you'll, you'll bless our time together in your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, to get our context, we're going to start reading in chapter 3 at verse 18 and then read through chapter 4, verse 5. So 318 through 4.5. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in, it, in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it is written, He captured the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the reasonings of the wise are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or the life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And ye are Christ and Christ God. Let a man regard us in this manner as stewards of Christ, as servants of Christ, and stewards of the mysteries of God. Keep going. Yes. Okay. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not conscious of anything against myself, but I am not justified by this. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness, and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his from God. Okay, so last time we were in verses 18 through 23 of chapter 3. That's kind of a summary of the whole first three chapters of the book. And the, the first half of this, 18 through 20, talks about the foolishness of, of the world versus the wisdom of God. And we were introduced by this phrase, let no man deceive himself. And if you remember, I think uh, commentary said that's, that phrase is used ten times in this book. Don't be deceived. That's not true. <laughs> Easy to be deceived. Um, but he he's tells them, if you know, if you think you're wise in the world, if you think, you know, as far as secular wisdom, you understand everything, uh, Paul's saying, no, you don't, because the world's understanding is different than God's. And, and so you become foolish in terms of the world's viewpoint in order to gain God's wisdom. And he, he gives us a couple of uh, passages from the Old Testament. He says, uh, God's the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise that they are useless. So we see that throughout Scripture. Um, and it's not just in the secular world. I, you're... <laughs> 
it's frustrating, but sometimes you run into it in religion and in theology and things. Where um, I think some theologians are too smart for themselves and they try to reason their way through and prove a certain point and in some cases almost abuse scripture to do it. Um, and I, it just frustrates me to see that. Um, you know, we're all familiar with John 3.16. For God so loved the world. Yeah. And there's, there's some who have <coughs> proven from scriptures that for God so loved the elect. He doesn't love the world, just the elect. And, and it's like, you know, you've got to work awfully hard to prove that. <laughs> so usually when I'm reading some theology, the longer the explanation is, in my mind, the more unlikely it's actually scriptural. He's trying to prove something that really isn't there. So um, you have to be kind of careful about seeing things like that. Um, I think, you know, if you, a, a good understanding of scripture is you read it and you say, yeah, that's what it says. It doesn't say something else. It, it's what it says there. And you understand it that way. Um, now, sometimes you can read something and you don't understand it. Well, that's okay. At least you're not contradicting it. So he talks about the foolishness of, of uh, human wisdom and human reasoning. Uh, and then the second part, uh, he says, don't let anyone boast in men. And that was the other problem. They were boasting in uh, their leaders, their favorite teacher, whether it's Paul or Apollos or Peter. Um, he says, he's been telling them, don't boast in men. And the argument he makes here is that um, God has given all these great teachers and religious leaders not to be great in your eyes, but they're your servants. And he talks about um, Christ belonging to God, the church belonging to Christ, and all these teachers belonging to the church. In every case, um, the Christ, the God-man Jesus Christ, was, was sent by God to accomplish a purpose and to serve, to serve God. The church is the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. And so it exists to bring glory to, to Christ. And these servants, he, you know, he renames himself Paul Apostle, uh, Paul Apollos or Cephas, they are for the service of the church. And you don't brag in your servants. And we had gotten last time, uh, we was talking in verse 22 about the all things belonging to the church. Um, not just the gifted men, but it says in verse 22, or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all things belong to you. So everything has been given over to benefit the church. That's God's plan right now. Um, let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Someone like to read verse 15. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Okay, all things are for your sakes, or for your benefits. Um, God has given us all things, and this, and it means all. Um, you know, when you read this list in verse 22, it talks about uh, the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come. Does that remind you of any other passage that Paul wrote? 
Let's look at Romans chapter 8. Someone like to read verses 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height or depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, so that's Paul way, Paul's way of saying nothing or everything. In, in verse 38, he lists everything and says none of that can separate us from God's love. Here in our passage, Paul is saying all these things are for the benefit of the church. So it's his way of broadly saying everything is, is, is for the church. So um, this is really a summary again of the first three chapters. So you know, Paul is confronting the problems, the, the Corinthians are boasting in human wisdom, and they're, um, he tries to turn their attention to God's glory, God's grace. They should boast in God and God alone. Um, God's wisdom far exceeds human wisdom. And again, also, God has given the religious leaders to the church for the church's benefit. They are servants of the church. They serve the church. We should not boast in them. We should boast only of God. Now, before we start verse chapter 4, I want to go down one little side trail. It's a question I had that came up, and I don't know the answer to it. When we see Paul in this book referring to Peter, what, is he, what name does he use? Cephas. Okay, Cephas is the Aramaic word for rock. Peter is the Greek word for rock. So in 1 Corinthians, Paul mentions Peter four times, and every time he says, Cephas. And I'm wondering, Corinthians, Corinth is a church in Greece. Why isn't he using the Greek name for Peter rather than the Aramaic name, which he is using here, Cephas? And the only other book in which Paul mentions him is Galatians. And in Galatians... Four times, he uses the name Cephas. But twice, he also uses the name Peter. Let's turn to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. Someone like to read verses 7 through 9. Galatians 2, 7 through 9. Contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel over the uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel over the circumcision was unto Peter. For he that was mighty by Peter in the apostleship over the circumcision was also mighty by me toward the Gentiles. Through nine? Yes, nine also. And when James and Cephas and John knew of the grace that was given unto me, which are counted to be pillars, they gave me and to Barnabas the right hands of fellowship, that we should preach unto the Gentiles and they unto the circumcision. Okay, verse 7, Peter, verse 8, Peter, verse 9, Cephas. Mm -hmm. And if you look ahead, verse 11, Cephas, and then in verse 14, Cephas. I have no idea why he would do that. 
you know, sometimes we, we talk about, when I get to heaven, I've got some questions I need to ask God. Well, you can add this one to it. You can add this one to the list. I will, I know I won't remember. Maybe you can talk to Paul. Paul, why, why'd you do that? That doesn't make sense. So he probably, and, I, and the other thing that strikes me is, he probably had a reason. And that's just some of God's word that I don't understand yet. Some of Paul's thinking that I don't understand. Why would he use the terms like that? So, Okay, so much for our little side trip. Getting back to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. So in this chapter, Paul takes some of these principles about human wisdom and about um, uh, leaders in the church and people who boast and become arrogant, and he applies these principles to himself and also to the problem people at Corinth. There are some people at Corinth who are kind of anti-Paul. They reject his authority. They reject his teaching. And so he's going to start applying these principles specifically uh, in their case. So let's start at verses 1 and 2 in chapter 4. Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. <clears throat> In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. So he starts by saying, people should look at me in this light. This is who I am. <clears throat> and the first thing he says is, a servant of God. Now the usual word for servant sounds like our word deacon. <clears throat> so as you go through this de deacon, or diaconus or something like that is the Greek word. But it's a word that's sometimes translated deacon. It means servant. Um, that's not the word used here. The word here that's translated servant literally means under rower. Under rower. The Greeks had their, their, their battleships had, if you've seen them, they're called triames. The tribe refers to three layers of oars because they didn't have engines. They were all rowed. They rowed these, you know, with, they had rowers. And so, that, so this word for servant here means the guys in the bottom of the boat, in the bottom, literally the, the bottom rowers. <laughs> it's called bilges. Yeah, down in the bilge, yeah. <laughs> the guys in the, yeah, with their feet in the water in the bottom of the boat. That's what, the, that's what the word literally means. Um, that's not how it came to be used. It came to be used as a, a subordinate to someone. So someone who was a, a servant, they served their superior master, they also had the authority of their master. So it was a subordinate, um, you know, like even in the military. Uh, You'll have an officer, and then he'll have an officer under him who carries out his orders. Um, this is the only place Paul uses this word, but it's used fairly often in the Gospels. So let's turn to John chapter 7, and we'll see how it's used typically. John chapter 7. We'll look at a couple verses here. Verse 32 and then 45 and 46. John 7, 32 and then 45 and 46. Someone might read those. 
Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. What were the other two, 45? Oh, 45 and 46. Um, finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees, who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards replied. Okay, so there's translated temple guards. New American Standard transfer, translates that as officers. So the, the officers, so you have the priests, the Pharisees, the high priest. They're the ones in command here, but they don't go out and do the dirty work. They send their minions, their, minions, their officers, their, yeah, their servants who go out and they have the authority to arrest. So, you know, they're, they're not just typical servants. They have authority. They have the authority of the of the. Um, of the rulers, the religious leaders. So that's the way it's used throughout the Gospels. And we also see it, let's turn to Acts chapter 26. This is one of the places, I think there's three places where in the in book of Acts where it talks about Paul's conversion. Um, once when it happens and then the other times when he ex he's relating it to others. Uh, Acts 26, someone would like to read verses 15 and 16. Then I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are preaching. Arise and stand up on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to, and to those in which I will appear to you. Okay, so here the Lord is appearing to Paul. And it says, to appoint you a minister or servant. That's our word. So here is where Paul is appointed as a minister, as a servant of Jesus Christ, as an officer of Jesus Christ. So this is very similar to what we had in, in, um, in the Gospels, where the, these, these men were the servants or ministers of, uh, of the rulers, the religious leaders. So Paul is appointed a minister of Christ. We see that in Acts 26. So he's not just a servant of Jesus Christ, but he has the, the authority that goes with it. So that's very similar to the idea behind being an apostle, one who's sent out with the authority. Okay, so that's the first thing that Paul points out. So we're in chapter 4, verse 1, 1 Corinthians. So the second one, he calls himself a steward of the mysteries of God. So we're to look at Paul and realize he's a steward. So um, the steward was the chief household servant, and he basically ran everything in the household. And oftentimes the master would delegate almost everything to the steward. He didn't want to have to be busy with all the details of running the household. Um, and I was seeing a good example, and I, it escapes me, but the, what's the series that's been on for years on uh, PBS of the, the English? All Things Great? No, not the... the Downton Abbey? Downton Abbey, yes. <laughs> Downton Abbey. You've got the, the guy who's the head of the servants. Would, the butler guy? The butler, yeah. Who, who's his name? What's his name? 
because I don't watch it that close. Clarkson. Clarkson. There we go. Thank you. He's the steward. He runs the show, right? The master, he just goes out and plays golf all the time, you know, and, and, and Clarkson runs everything. So, so he's the steward. So that's a good picture of what Paul is saying here. He says, you know, I'm the steward. God has appointed me a steward. I, I'm the one who's down here running things. I don't own it. I'm not the master. But God's given me this responsibility of, of running things here. Um, Let's look at Luke chapter 12. We'll see an example of this in one of uh, Christ's parables. Luke chapter 12, and would someone like to read verses 42 through 44? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and sensible steward? whom his master will put in charge of his servants to give them their rations at the proper time. Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. Okay, that's, that's far enough for that, yes. So there's the, the faithful servant who's in charge of all his possessions. A lot of responsibility there. But very trusted. But very trusted, okay. Now keep, keep your finger there in Luke 12. Because going back to 1 Corinthians 4, verse 2 says, In the case, moreover, it's required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. Okay, back to Luke 12. Would someone like to read verses 45 through 47 for us? But if that servant says to himself, My master is delayed in coming, and begins to beat the male and female servants, and to eat, drink, and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him into pieces and put him in with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready to act according to the will, will receive his severe beating. Okay, so the unfaithful steward gets either flogged or cut to pieces. So that... <laughs> That emphasizes what Paul is saying here back in 1 Corinthians 4. And it's required of servant, stewards excuse me, that one be found trustworthy. So that's the most important thing here. So he's saying, okay, I am a minister of God, a chief officer of Christ. I am a steward of God. And his stewardship in this case has to do with the mysteries of God. And that's the emphasis on, on his stewardship. Now we already saw that back in chapter 2, verse 7, um, where he says, but we speak God's word in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined from before the ages to our glory. So the, the, the mysteries are things that, that God has planned for the church, but had not revealed previously. And so this is the particular stewardship that was given to Paul with all this information uh, about the church, about God's relationship to the church. Let's look at Colossians chapter 1. We'll see a very similar passage. Colossians chapter 1, which someone like to read verses 25 through 27. <clears throat> of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given me 
to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Okay, so again we see his steward, he mentioned stewardship in verse 25, and, and the stewardship was to reveal this mystery. God gave this information to Paul, and he revealed it. Um, now we have other passages in Ephesians where he talks about the, this information given to the prophets and apostles. So there was others in the church who were given insight into this mystery as well. But primarily it was through Paul. That was his, the, the main thing that he emphasizes is his stewardship is to reveal this uh, mystery. Um, in this particular case in Colossians, it has to do with um, Christ being in the Gentiles. Um, you know, Christ in you, the hope of glory, that the Gentiles would be glorified through Christ. You know, to the Old Testament Jews, this was a totally alien concept, <laughs> you know, um, that that would happen. Let's look at uh, <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 3. Paul talks quite extensively about this stewardship and this mystery. <clears throat> so I want to read, have us read verses 1 through 10. And so since it's a longer passage, let's read around again. Start. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. When you read this, you can perceive insight into the mystery of Christ. This was not made known to people in other generations, as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Even unto me, the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God, who created all things. So that through the church, all the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Okay. So this is, again, we see his stewardship. Um, verse 2, uh, New American Standard has stewardship. I think Joe's version said administration. Um, so he's administering this. He's given this to be a steward of this mystery. And, and it goes on and explains some of it. In this, in this case, it's <clears throat> that the... In Ephesians, especially in chapter 2, you've got the Jews and the Gentiles being brought together into one body, and that body then being the, the body of Christ. And again, he's saying, this was, you're not going to find this in the Old Testament. He says, this is a mystery. Um, and it's, it's interesting, as you get to the end of it, in verse 10, that it might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And there's an awful lot of what's going on that 
has been revealed through prophecy, the, you know, things into which the angels long to look. They want to understand these things. And I think that includes the fallen angels and Satan. And what Paul's saying is, God kept this a mystery. He didn't let them in on it. All of a sudden, here's this church age, and Satan's going, what? <laughs> What's this? <laughs> you know? I don't have any prophecy to go back on, you know? Um, there's, and I, I, there's a couple places where there might be hints at this. Um, one is, uh, when you look at the first month, of, on the 14th of the month of Passover, on the 15th of, of the first month was the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. On the 16th, there was a special offering. They would take, it was like the first fruits of the barley harvest, they would bake two loaves of barley, and it was leavened bread. And that was offered up to God. And some of the commentaries look at that and say, Leaven, leavening means it's not, it's, it's not Christ that's being offered up. These are humans with leaven, with sin. And there's two loaves, one representing the Gentiles, one representing the Jews. So maybe that's a hint of what's coming of the church age. But it's also, and again, it's the first fruits. That would have been offered up. Passover was Friday. First fruit started on Saturday. Sunday would have been the resurrection and the first fruits being offered up, Jew and Gentile, both. Interesting that it would be on Sunday. Yeah. So it falls on the right day to match what the resurrection day. So Maybe. <laughs> but I, I look at that and think that that could fit. That's that's interesting to see that. So this is telling us who Paul is. Um, he, again, he starts this out by saying, "Let let a man regard us in this manner." So he's a he's a uh, an officer of 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 Christ. He's a steward of these mysteries. Is it? You know, he was unique. He had a very special, very important role in the early church. He had authority that, you know, we don't see in the church today. We don't have apostles with this kind of authority. Um, you know, we'll see later in Corinthians where he delivers someone over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Um, I don't think we have anybody in the church today with that kind of authority. But that was granted to, to Paul. Okay, that's going on. Let's see the next part, verses 3 and 4. But to me it's a very small thing that I should be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself. I'm conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted, but the one who examines me is the Lord. So he tells us how basically how important he is. He's not bragging. He's Basically saying, this is what God has put where God has put me. We, we see later, he'll say, you know, by the grace of God, I am what I am. You know, God's appointed him that. But the Corinthians are examining Paul. They're evaluating him. They're probably comparing him to Apollos, who is far more eloquent, much better preacher, uh, and comparing him to Peter. And they were finding that Paul was lacking in some way. Um, Maybe they also compared him to the Greek philosophers. 
and, and we're seeing how he lacked the wisdom that the Greek philosophers had. Uh, and Paul says, that's not important to me. Now, he's not putting them down saying, I don't care what you think. Um, because he also goes on and says, you know, you know, I'm, he talks about any human court. Um, but he's saying that it's not important what they think of him. And we'll see later, he says, it's, what is important is what does God think of me? Um, He's just saying, you know, I'm subordinate to Christ. I've been chosen by Christ to be a steward. I'm responsible to Christ. I'm not accountable to you. You know, I serve you, but I'm not accountable to you. <clears throat> so, you know, why shouldn't, you know, they um, be examining him? And, and part of it is, you know, we do not have the wisdom, the knowledge of God. We do not have God's justice. Um, we can't evaluate. You know, we do not have the ability to correctly evaluate other believers. Let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 16. <clears throat> Regarding Saul, King Saul. 1 Samuel 16, verses 6 and 7. <coughs> Someone like to read this? Or actually... This is David. 6 and 7. When they entered, he looked at Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees, not as a man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Okay. <laughs> So this is where Samuel is looking at all the sons of Jesse and, well, it must be this one, it must be this one. And God said, nope, 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 nope. <laughs> God down to David. Um, God, man looks at the outward appearance. We look at that. We don't know what's going on inside a man's a heart. You know, there may be someone doing something that we think is totally wrong and God is saying, it's acceptable in my sight because I know what's going on in their heart. I know why they're doing it. So we, we do not really have the ability to judge correctly. Let's look at John chapter 7. I always get a kick out of when the Israelites wanted a king. And God says, you don't want a king, you want me to king. No, we want a man to <laughs> So he brings up, you know, Saul and <coughs> higher, yeah. you know, taller. And, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. what we want. You know, you don't right. want him. Yeah. <laughs> when you go back to... Leviticus and Deuteronomy where God warns the Jews about what's coming and he says you're going to ask for a king and this is what he's going to do to you you don't want him but they want him he warns them okay John chapter 7 would someone like to read verse 24 do not judge by appearances but judge with right judgment okay this is my Bible that's red letters that's Jesus speaking so they've been um uh, back in verse 20. The multitude answered, you have a demon. <laughs> so they were judging incorrectly. You know, they were saying Jesus was demon-possessed, and here he's saying, you know, don't judge according to appearance. So they were judging Jesus. Of course, they were wrong. Um, yeah. So 
Paul then goes on back in our passage to say, I don't even judge myself. Um, there's a couple reasons for this. First is we deceive ourselves all the time. We have egos. We don't want to be wrong. You know, we really don't. Um, so we rationalize our actions. Um, sometimes we blame other people. We blame our, um, our circumstances for why we fail or sin. Um, you know, the classic, I think, is in Genesis, where God says, Adam, what did you do? This woman God gave you, gave me, yeah. She gave me, yeah. You gave her to me, and she did. Ultimately, God, it's your fault you put me in this situation. Yeah. Yeah, we, 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 we deceive ourselves, right. Uh, let's look at one, pro Proverbs 21. Proverbs chapter 21. Someone like to read verse 2. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 2. Every man, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. Yep. We're always, we think we're right, but, you know, and that's, true humility comes when we have to say, you know, I might be wrong. I might really be wrong on this. I need to listen to others. I need to see what God's word says. Just the judge that says everyone did it with the right eyes or something like that. You know, it's, yeah. It keeps repeating that few judges that uh -huh. everyone did it with Yeah, it's the book of Judges. In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. And the jails are full of innocent people. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay, so the first reason for not judging ourselves is self-deception. You know, he, like we said, ten times, do not be deceived. Um, second, uh, and, and which is probably more important, is God is the only one who has the authority to judge. We cannot pronounce ourselves innocent. And we see that in verse 4. He says, I'm conscious of nothing against myself, but I'm not by this acquitted. Acquitted is when you go to court and the judge declares you innocent. You know, we may think we're perfectly innocent, but we're not until the judge says we are. And who is our judge? It's God. It's not your elders <laughs> or your pastor or, or any other church leader, you know, bishops and popes and whoever it might be. Is God is the one who acquits. He is the one who finally says, um, you're free of sin. Um, no, he's not. Just because God, just because Paul doesn't know about any sin doesn't mean he's innocent. Let's go back to Leviticus chapter 4. We'll look at one of these, one of the um, sacrifices. Leviticus chapter 4. Someone like to read verses 22 and 23. 22 and 
22 and 23. When a ruler shall sin and do through ignorance against any of the commandments of the Lord his God, which should not be done, and shall offend, if one show unto him his sin, which he hath committed, then shall he bring for his offering, and he go which without blemish. Okay. So here it talks about the leaders. First off, the sin is unintentional. One of the things really condemning as you go through Leviticus is the sin offerings were for unintentional sins. I don't believe there's any sin offerings for intentional sins. Premeditated? Premeditated, yeah. Um, Christ is better than any of these offerings because there's a lot of times when I'm thinking, okay, God, I know you don't like it, I'm going to do it anyway. And I have to... <laughs> I have to confess that. That's part of when we confess our sins, we have to be honest with God. And I told God, God, I knew better. I made the decision to violate your law in this case. And so Christ is a better offering than the sin offerings here. But it says, uh, when the sin is made known to him, so he doesn't know it. He's not, he does not do it intentionally. He doesn't even know he's sinned. But someone else points it out. It's still a sin. It has to be, it has to have an offering made for it. So, um, you know, we're, what we see here is a, a case where um, the leader is not aware of the sin, but he's still sinful and he still needs an offering. So that's kind of what Paul is saying. You know, I'm not, I don't know of any sin, but, you know, that doesn't mean I'm innocent. God may know of sins that I've committed. I'm just not aware of them. <clears throat> And I said, look at myself, I'm sure there's lots of things like that. <laughs> you know, I'm not aware of them. God, you know, I have not grown to the point of knowing God's holiness well enough to know how often I do sin. So when we pray, do we ask God to forgive those unintentional things we've done that we don't know? We can, yeah. yeah. Or at least maybe bring, we, bring it to our attention. Yeah, yeah. And that's, and that's growth. It seems like the, the more you grow, the more you're aware of your sins. Um, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Second Corinthians chapter 1, some likely verse 12. Now this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world, and especially in our relationship with you, with integrity and godly sincerity. We have done so, relying not on worldly wisdom, but on God's grace. Okay, so here again, Paul is saying, you know, he's got a clear conscience. You know, um, he's not aware of sin in his life. But again, he says... He does not have the authority to declare himself righteous. It's the judge who does that. He, does, he cannot acquit himself because he's not omniscient. He does not understand as much as God does. And he does not have, it's not just the ability to recognize sin, but the authority to acquit or condemn. Um, God is the only one with that authority. You know, Daryl, I would much rather stand before God for my unintentional sins, or even my intentional ones, 
for a court because a court doesn't look at that word. I mean, in our day and age, the judge isn't going to sit there and say unintentional, yes or no. They're just going to say no. Did you do it? Right. So we have a better judge with God than what we do with our human system. Right, right. And God has that authority and the wisdom and, and understanding. Okay, well, we need to wrap it up here. So, uh, Joe, would you like to close for us? <clears throat> sure. Dear Lord, we thank you for letting us come and, and study your word. We thank you that we have the opportunities in this country. We just pray, Lord, for those brothers and sisters in other countries that don't have that freedom. We pray for them that they um, can seek out your word and, and find that. We thank you that your word is living, that it testifies to us on a living basis, that it's there to give us guidance, to give us direction. It's there to encourage, there to give us what we need in our life. We thank you that it reads um, your living word, your living words through it. We thank you for that. Thank you for Daryl for bringing the lessons to us today from your word. Thank you for Robert as he comes in the next hour. Lord, thank you for the opportunity we have of, of opening your word in a group setting and see what you have for us. Your question and your prayer. Amen. Amen. Listen to the persecuted church. <laughs>